Good afternoon, Patriots. Welcome to the 50th episode of Living with Liberty. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about the hypocritical Major League Baseball sellouts. We'll talk part two of our Dumbing Us Down series. And we'll finish up with Biden buyer's remorse. All next on Living with Liberty. Before I get into the show today, I'd like to, again, just thank all of my listeners out there. Uh, kind of started this podcast as a little bit of a side project and wasn't really sure where it was going to go. Didn't know if I'd just do a couple episodes and say it's not for me or not, you know, the po- feedback wouldn't have been, you know, positive. I probably wouldn't have continued, but um you know, I do this show for you and appreciate all the feedback, all the positive feedback, all the things that I can work on and do better. I try to to do that and try to bring as good of uh, information as possible and things we can all take action on and you know try and be a little optimistic too. There's a lot of a uh, lot of um, just not a lot of optimistic news and not a lot of optimistic talk out there in social media land and regular media land, let's call it. So I I try to bring some of that too. So we all have something to look forward to. So again, this, you know, show is for you. I thank you. Thank you all. And I look forward to the next 50 shows with you. So now on to our show, I was looking to get back to normal summer this year and normal summer for me is Part of that is enjoying some baseball, especially after last year with the weird short season and just the goofiness of it all. I am a big baseball baseball fan. Yes, I'm, I still am. I've still got other options here that, uh, that I can use to scratch that baseball itch. Tailgating is a big deal around here, and I've spent countless spring, summer, and early fall days at the ballpark. Over the course of my life, I always said that there were no more hospitable people than Wisconsin sports fans. There was nothing better than tailgating in the back lots of Miller Park and making the long walk to the park from those back lots. And, you know, people would see you empty handed and hand you a beer and a broth. Or if you only had one hand available, hand you another beer if that's what you had. And two, as we tailgated, we handed out plenty of beers and brats to our, ourselves, to those that were walking by. Some of my fondest memories, and hopefully my kids' memories as well, is going to baseball games. There's, uh, you know, nothing more as, as a, a father sharing something like that, that love of a game with your kids and taking them to, to a baseball game and, and seeing their face light up for the first time as, as um you enter the stadium and sit in the crowd and watch the game. Now you look at it, sports, uh, as you know, any sports interests, especially a game like baseball, where it's slower paced and you know, people typically don't pick it up on, on their own of their own accord. Uh, you know, those things are handed down generationally. I'd say behind Christians waiting for Jesus to return, there's no other group of people filled with more hope than baseball fans at the beginning of a new season. Now, apparently, Major League Baseball just had to scratch their itch to join Woketopia. Oh, 
and they had to make sure they bent over for Daddy China also. It's really astounding to me that Major League Baseball is that out of touch with who their core customers and fans really are. Baseball fans skew older. That There's uh, plenty of surveys out there that you know the average baseball fan, I believe, is anywhere starting from 35 on up. Uh, your typical baseball fan. So they skew older than fans of the other sports leagues. And as, as has been noted through polls and other uh, research, older Americans tend to skew more conservative. So that kind of leads me to conclude that your, your average baseball fan probably also is, skews on the conservative side of things as well. Now, to, to, to make you know a, a point here, I guess, and, and kind of a message to Major League Baseball from me, let's call it, you know, I, I, a little story here. I once tried a new Chinese restaurant in my town. Uh, it, it had been around, but we just never ate at it. So we decided to try it one time. Now, the first time I eat there, I get food poisoning. I have not been back to that restaurant since, even though the food was pretty good. And that restaurant uh, uh, trip that was at least 10 years ago, if not more, that, I'd, that I had eaten at that restaurant. And I still remember that to, that, to this day. Now, if it had been the fifth time that I'd eaten there and got food poisoning, just chalk it up, right? But nah, the first time kind of turned me off for um, probably ever at this point. Now, my message to Major League Baseball, and I, I hate to tell baseball, but my resolve is strong. I'm done. And subsequently, My kids' interest in the game will probably go with it. These are the things that these companies don't think about when they join Woketopia. In their arrogance, they make these decisions and turn off their base customers, but do not think about the ripple effects downstream. They just think we're going to come back. Oh, they'll be back. It's, uh, they're, you know, they're, these customers will come back. They always do, blah, blah, blah. Now, in the case of baseball, they are affecting their revenue for years. Like I said, this is a generational game. I don't know of any other game. I haven't heard of any other stories of grandfathers handing their their love of a game, basketball, whatever, down to you know their their kids or even their grandkids. It's always baseball. I, not always. I hate absolutes, right? But more often than not, it's baseball is that game that gets handed down generationally. And baseball's move here to join Woketopia is really going to put a damper on that. I, 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 I just know it. They are affecting uh, their ability to grow their fan base. And I'm not saying, you know, not the ones in China who won't ever come here to go to the stadium and, pay inflated prices for season tickets and food and drinks at the stadium. But it's the actual fans who show up to support their teams through the good times and bad, who are going to pay the six seventy five for a dollar hot dog or the whatever it is now, eight, nine bucks for a gigantic Pepsi that you know, probably would go to the restaurant you'd pay two fifty for at McDonald's. It's the same same soda, right? But 
you know, they're, they're going to lose out on tons of that. Now, it's, it's apparent to me that Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred didn't bother to read the Georgia law regarding their, uh, their updates to their election process that their legislature just passed. And we'll see this in his statement in a minute, um, how it was just a, a woke decision and he didn't bother to check into any of this at all um, on his own accord. He justified pulling the all-star game from Atlanta and the, the draft, the draft that happens in June for Major League Baseball. He pulled all that based on discussions with current and former players, the Players Association, and the Players Alliance. Could there have been any more of an uninformed group he could have consulted than these people? We, we've, as we've seen in the past year, athletes, Hollywood types are your most uninformed people on the planet. They're just going to spout whatever their, their handlers and their um, media types tell them to spout. They don't check into anything for themselves. They, they'll, they're just going with what they see as, as, as I guess, what they think is the majority what they think is a majority opinion because they're like major league baseball, all out of touch with what the average everyday American really stands for and what they really want. Now here's what Manfred said. And I quote, he says major league baseball fundamentally supports voting rights for all Americans and opposes restrictions to the ballot box. Now, Manfred seems to just be doing what he's been strong-armed into doing, either by Tencent, the uh, Chinese media, um, uh, social media uh, company who uh, Major League Baseball had just signed a contract with the day before, prior to pulling the All-Star game. Uh, They signed a contract to continue streaming with them. And oh, by the way, Tencent has deep ties to the CCP. Or Manfred Cave to the woke mob, one or the other, it's apparent. Again, that statement tells me he didn't, he didn't bother to read uh, anything about the Georgia law. He's just been going by what, he, what lies he was fed. Now, Manfred and, and those he consulted, I put that in quotes, consulted, what they didn't bother to read up on in terms of what the actual law says and how it actually expanded voting and not restricted it. So they had no idea what this thing says. Someone said in the woke mob, in the media, Tencent, whoever said, this Georgia law restricted it. You need to pull out right now. Okay. Uh, you know, apparently Manfred doesn't have a brain of his own. He just said, okay, uh, we're done. Um, and then they move it to Denver, Colorado, who also has voter ID laws. So go figure. So I got a few questions here. For Major League Baseball, maybe we should ask MLB why they have such restrictive policies. Why, MLB, do we have to have an ID to pick up our will call tickets? Why, MLB, do we have to have ID to buy alcohol at the stadium? I'll bet they even issue IDs to their employees. I'm sure teams issue IDs to their uh, players, coaches, anybody that works in the front offices, I'm sure Major League Baseball at their head offices in New York City 
issue IDs to all those people as well. Kind of sounds restrictive on Major League Baseball's part, no? And, you know, I think in, in order to, to hire their employees, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here to say they required those new employees as a condition of hire to show what? An ID. But that bit of hypocrisy doesn't cross the mind of the Wokeians. Nope. That bit of information must be glossed over when you're woke. We have to ignore reality and be as hypocritical as we possibly can. Yeah, you know, we we issue IDs to our employees. We require our employees to have IDs as both to enter the building and, well, as a new hire. But, uh, you know, when you wanted to go and vote for something, you know, something more important than a freaking baseball game or, you know, working at the baseball offices or the stadium, eh, nah, you know, leave the ID at home. Eh, that's too restrictive. I have an idea here for uh, anyone that's hired by MLB going now in the future and in, out into the future. They should refuse to show an ID under the guise of it's just too restrictive to their getting hired by Major League Baseball. So what are the facts about the Georgia law that Rob Manfred and the rest of Major League Brokeball were too lazy to check into before opening their soup coolers and alienating their fan base, causing them to also get exposed as bowing to the CCP? Well, Voters will still have access to water. Groups can still provide water in nondescript containers. The whole point here was you couldn't have any candidates, any particular group within range of the poll handing out water, trying to influence people's vote. That's what the purpose is here. And oh, by the way, people can still bring their own water. They will not be restricted in any way on that. Georgia already had a voter ID law on the books. This new law just extends it to include absentee ballots. And, oh, by the way, anyone without a Georgia ID, which is about 200,000 people throughout uh, the state, the state has 11 million people, you know, figure maybe 9 million or so are are adults, Um, just some back-of-the-napkin math. Still very small percentage when you say it's 200,000 out of, say, 9 million-ish or so. Anybody in that without an ID in Georgia can request one for free from the state at any county registrar's office. Doesn't sound too restrictive. I can get a free ID as a resident of Georgia. Uh, anywhere else, I know, well, I don't want to say anywhere else, but I know in Wisconsin here, I think you got to pay for them. And, oh, look at this, too. Voting access has been increased. Polling places are still open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., plus this new Georgia law adds two weekend days to their early voting. I believe it was Sundays that weren't typically part of the early voting process uh, to begin with, and now you can. Uh, vote on a Sunday. So they added a couple days during the early vote period. And you still don't need a reason in Georgia to request an absentee ballot. That's not the case all over. So you can say just going in Georgia, you can just say, give me an absentee ballot uh, and not have any sort of reason other than you just want an absentee ballot. 
No, this doesn't sound too restrictive to me. If anything, it sounds like common sense precautions are being taken to make sure that it is hard to cheat, but easy and accessible to cast a ballot. But the Wokians at Major League Baseball are willing to throw away their fan base due to being stupid. Yes, stupid, plain and simple. If they aren't willing to take five minutes to look for and read and just an executive review, the high-level overview of the Georgia law, they are stupid. Have fun going bankrupt, MLB. Those massive contracts that get handed out to the superstar players don't pay for themselves, and you just pissed off a whole lot of your paying customers. Now on to part two of our series on Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Gatto. This part is uh, titled The Psychopathic School. Gatto notes the world's narcotic economy is based on our consumption of it, and Gatto says that if we didn't buy so many powdered dreams, the business itself would collapse. And he also says that schools are an important sales outlet for this stuff. Gatto goes on to link that, the drugs in schools, and you know, we all know how putting that sign outside of school, drug-free school zone, we know how well that works. <laughs> um, and this book, again, was written in 1992, so I'm... I'm you know, it's only compounded since then, I'm sure. Um, but he goes on to link that, the, uh, the drugs being sold in schools with a greater crisis faced by our communities, that of losing our identity identities. So couple of this, you know, kids getting hopped up on whatever under the table, their friends have something, couple that with, just some of the, the community, um, uh, as we'll see here in a minute, some of the uh, just kids and not mingling in communities, you know, it's, it's creating an identity crisis in, in, his, um, in his view. He notes that children and old people are, are locked up. They're separated and rarely if ever mingle. So we're talking about the, the kids and, you know, senior citizens here, really. This is causes what Gatto terms as a continuous present. As our community has no future with the kids mingling and learning from the community at large, and particularly older adults, and it has no past. As the old people are no longer talking to others about how things used to be, no longer are they giving their wisdom on how it, things were in, in you know, their time growing up and their time in the workforce. And, and you're not getting that uh, perspective that helps move society forward by being able to learn from the past and build on, on what those past generations uh, were able to accomplish. And that stuff isn't getting handed down to our future generations to help build upon what the, the past generations have done. Gatto points to schools as the major contributor to this, uh, to this phenomenon, as kids are locked away from society for hours upon hours, not interacting with their elders, not learning from the wisest among us. Schools are indoctrination facilities. We, we know that. And Gatto notes, and remember, that, like I said, this book was written in 1992. 
and, and when John Taylor Gatto wrote this, he's, he writes that nobody believes scientists are actually trained in science class, nor are politicians trained in civics classes. School's major function is to teach students how to follow orders. Plain and simple. Again, this, this is 30 years ago this is being written. It's no wonder that we are at this place in history right now. Think about all the groupthink around us in legacy media, with our politicians, within the, poli- uh, the political parties. There isn't a lot of dissenting opinions, at least not publicly, within either party. There's certainly not dissenting opinions amongst writers of some of the wokest uh, news media outlets out there. I mean, you get a few here and there with, you can throw the Wall Street Journal in there. I hate to say it, but sometimes the New York Times might have something, but those dissenting opinions tend to be op-eds written by uh, the politicians. So you, you don't see those dissenting opinions even within our media outlets anymore. And, and there's really, you look at it, there's no rush of any politician offering up different thought or trying to press their idea forward within their own party. Um, I'd say conservatives probably do it more so than than the Democrats do. But uh, again, a, a lot of it, I think, happens behind closed doors. You never, you never see them putting pressure on it when they think they have a really good idea. And why is that? I... I Look at this, and I think it's schools. It's because the schools have beat out of the students any sense of individuality, any sense of free thought, and any questioning of authority, even if that authority is wrong. Just follow orders is what the schools say now. Now, I think back to my time in school, and maybe this is why I would get in trouble from time to time in school. I didn't agree with what was being taught all the time. I'd challenge the norm. And then I would get bored with the repetitive collectivist nonsense being taught. I've never been real good at just doing what I'm told anyway. So um, probably why I got in a little trouble at times in school, I guess. Now, one of the other things I tend to do, and it drives my wife nuts sometimes, but I tend to answer questions with questions. If I think something doesn't make sense, I will and someone asks me a question, I'll ask them another question about their question and keep digging until I get to something that makes sense or maybe approves my point. I guess it depends on the situation, right? Now, kind of moving on in, in our part two discussion here, this is one of my favorite nuggets in the entire book. Gatto says, and I quote, in the United States, almost nobody who reads, writes, or does arithmetic gets respect. We are a land of talkers. We pay talkers the most. We admire talkers the most. And so as a result, our children talk constantly. Isn't that the truth? We elected a president two times because he was a good speaker. He did nothing but divide this country. He had no ideas. And essentially, in my view, he tried to run it into the ground. And really, you look at it, he had no other discernible skills. But boy, could he speak. That was his only skill. We constantly lift up the narcissists in Hollywood or the sports world as scions of society 
because they are talking incessantly, but rarely are they saying anything of real value or substance. And even worse, our kids look up to these fools who act like they can barely read, write, and do math. Now I'll finish up this segment with eight observations Gatto makes about children today. So the first one he says, the children I teach are indifferent to the adult world. Gatto notes that they're uh, that one of the occupations of childhood was studying what adults were up to. And now it seems that no one uh, wants children to grow up. I look at things today, this, this is absolutely true. And I remember as a kid being extremely interested in what my parents were up to, what other trusted adults were doing, how they handled themselves, what made them tick, how did they think about things. But now we have a generation or maybe two at this point, of helicopter parents who tried to protect their kids from every little bump in life. And what have we ended up with? We have an army of hot pocket eating basement dwellers who only come out at night to burn down federal courthouses. Gatto's point number two here says, the children I teach have almost no curiosity. I say this is a fact. Drawing back on my experience as a kid, I took a countless number of things apart just to see how they worked. I wasn't always successful in getting them back together, so they worked again. But I kind of figured out how they worked, and a lot of times I could get them back together. Uh, you know, I researched things, obscure things to gain knowledge. I once had a teacher admonish me for picking Liechtenstein for a class project or a class report out. She said I wouldn't find enough info to have a, a, a substantial enough report. I then proceeded to kill it on that report, and I blew away all the other reports that people did on Mexico, Canada, and England. Challenge accepted, taken, and, and uh, won. Kids today just seem to expect to be told things. They don't expect to have to go and figure them out for themselves. There's no natural curiosity anymore. Luckily, my kids are the curious type. They've explored a lot of different topics in their school. It probably helps that we homeschool them, but there's been times where they've said, they've asked the question, and they probably hate to hear it, but I said that would be an interesting thing to go do a report on. Now, Gatto's point number three, children have a poor sense of future. This I can see as there is not a real solid linking of causality and consequences to actions. Let's think about the recent incident in Washington, D.C., where that Uber Eats driver was killed by the, the two teen girls in whatever was going on, that carjacking, whatever you want to call it, just an overall awful situation. Now, you can tell that there was no link of that event to the future once that car crashed and the man was pronounced dead. There really wasn't as they were going through it either, but um, you could tell the thinking wasn't there. And really what, what kind of brings this even more to light and I think shines a, a bigger light on this, that their kids today don't really have any, uh, any sense of the future, is when, when you see the video that the one girl was more worried about her phone that was still in the car on its side with a 
that that poor dead man's face down on the sidewalk. She was more worried about her phone than the jail time she was potentially facing. I'll say potentially because it's still an allegation, even though it's all on video. It's still an allegation. Let's be clear here. But she was more worried about the phone in the car than than the jail time she was facing in, you know, in this incident here. All right, point four. The children I teach are ahistorical. They have no sense of how the past has predestined their own present, limits their choices, shapes their values and lives. I think there's enough said there. Gatto's point number five. The children I teach are cruel to each other. They lack compassion for misfortune. This one has only gotten worse in the internet age, and especially with the advent of social media. I go back to my time in school. Gosh, that makes me sound old here. I mean, back in my day, well, (laughs) back in my day, there were consequences for being mean. You had a real possibility of leaving that encounter with a black eye. Now, with social media absolving all threats of recourse, there's an army of keyboard warriors out there terrorizing one another, making fun of someone else's misfortune. This one, I turn back to the parents and the breakdown of the family unit. Now, two-parent households aren't a guarantee, mother and father in the household, but having the father in the home who wouldn't put up with that nonsense, certainly tips the odds in favor of having a respectful young man or woman grow up out of that household. Number six, the children I teach are uneasy with intimacy and candor. Again, this is another one that has gotten worse with the social media age. Every put, everyone puts on their online persona and keeps it on, even when there's uh, that human-to-human interaction going on. Kids don't learn how to be real with one another. They don't value the deep conversations and relationships that can be had by just being open and vulnerable with someone, by sharing what troubles you, what ails you, etc. Kids uh, nowadays seem to just be really uh, un. Uh, unable to do that and and not comfortable with with that whatsoever, which I find somewhat strange since everybody puts everything out on social media these days. But, you know, again, I think it's more persona. uh, Everything's A-OK, everything's fine, look at how great I am sort of thing uh, that contributes to that, um, to, to kind of this topic here. Number seven. The children I teach are materialistic. Teaching kids wants versus needs is a powerful thing. We do it in our house. We ask our kids from time to time when they say they need something, is it truly a need or is it a want? Usually they get it right and say want, but sometimes they still say, yes, I, I, I need that new widget or whatever it may be. <laughs> so... Kids will be kids. And number eight, the children I teach are dependent, passive, and timid in the face of new challenges. Uh, Yes, this, absolutely 100%. Why is that? Helicopter parents who won't let their kids fail. That's one reason why. Another reason why, everyone gets a trophy. 
Then you have these two phenomenon, these that that go on here. And and this is what it teaches. It 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 teaches when kids get into the real world, adults or even uh, teenagers that are going, you know, that are that are starting to work, they, they get into the real world and some sort of failure or adversity occurs, they can't recover. They ball up and almost expect mom and dad to take care of it for them. If you take away the failures, kids learn nothing. To that point, adults learn nothing either, but kids learn nothing if you just don't enable them to fail. If you give everyone a trophy, kids learn that you don't need to work for something. It's just going to be handed to you anyway. You get handed a trophy for first place and for last place. What At that point, what does it matter? Why work, right? Why bother working for anything? Failure is a great learning tool. More is learned in failures than successes. And certainly, uh, there's more learned in failure than mommy and daddy swooping in and fixing everything for you. Now, I have a rule with my kids. Again, we, we homeschool them. So I put this rule in place. I said anything under an 80% requires a redo of the assignment. Why is that? We're striving here for mastery of a subject, not just doing it to get it done. Yes, our standard for failure here is high. It's, you know, an 80%. You think about that. That's that's a, a B, right? We, we don't give our kids letter grades here, but you think about it in a traditional concept, 80% a B. But why do we do this? It teaches our kids to always put their best foot forward and that... Yeah, you're you're going to fail, but you can come back and learn from it and do better the next time. So it teaches them to, one, put their best foot forward and that it's best that they make sure they understand something before they move on to that next lesson where the lack of understanding will be compounded as lessons tend to build on one another. It teaches them at first, I, I didn't succeed at this, so I'll go back and try it again and, and do better the next time. And ultimately, they almost always do. I think the second time around, if I were to put a number to it, we probably have something like, a, I would say, certainly a 95% success rate on getting above that 80 the next time around. So we're, we're teaching our kids that, and, and you know, putting in place a... a an artificial, uh, not artificially high, but a a high threshold for uh, putting some adversity, throwing some adversity their way. You know, doing this, it it teaches them how to handle adversity because I am the one who's putting adversity in front of them in a safe and controlled environment, training them how to deal with it now as kids so that they are masters of dealing with it when they're faced with adversity in a hostile or chaotic real-world environment. Now, so one thing I always carry this acronym with me wherever I go uh, with, you know, we, we use it with our, our kids. I even use it with the teams I manage at work. So I've thrown this, I've thrown this in front of adults as well. It's an acronym for FAIL, F-A-I-L. What it stands for is First Attempt in Learning. Failing is where we grow the most, and it's where we have to let our kids grow the most, too. 
we can't swoop in and save them from every little thing and protect them from every little thing. They learn nothing. They're going to grow the most and become more successful adults if we let them fail. All right, so now I want to finish up today's show with some optimism, some humorous, (laughs) it's humorous, it's kind of real world stuff, but it's humorous. A shout out to my brother for sending me and and turning me on to this. Uh, What it is, is it's a thread on Mastodon, uh, and I'll link it in the description box. You know, out there, there's a growing contingent of people with buyer's remorse for voting for Joe Biden. Now, the posts on this thread are pure gold. What what they are, they're, they're snapshots, I think, mostly of, of um, Twitter posts. Again, I'll put the link out there in the description box. Go and read them. It, it, it'll put a big smile on your face. I think this will put a big smile on your face, but reading some of those other posts, too, will put a, a, a gigantic, let's put it that way, a gigantic smile on your face. Now, what I'll do, I'll re- read off a few of the these uh, posts here. And like I said, they're good for some laughs. And I'll bet you do some face palms as well. Now, this first one is from a Matt Hart. He's tweeting back at POTUS. He says this, Matt Hart says this, You're weak. This took two months longer than you promised us during your campaign. And even with control of the Senate and House, you were bullied into taking stimulus from families that you promised would get stimulus. Dems have lost my vote. Well, better late than never, Matt Hart. We tried to warn you that the orange man really wasn't all that bad. You didn't want to listen, and I guess some of us are experiential learners. Now, this next one is from uh, a John, just John on Twitter, and he's tweeting this at Reuters Biz, and he's lamenting, my God, why did I vote for Biden? (laughs) And now John gets a two-for-one deal here, and this time tweeting just at Reuters. Uh, This time he says, if voters can't differentiate between truth and misinformation, what kind of government will they elect? Is it really democracy or stupidity? That's what we have now. I'm guessing he's saying uh, stupidity is what we have now. It's on Twitter, so you know you're limited there as far as how many characters uh, you got. So, uh, And then he goes on to this. He says, even though Biden is POTUS, for millions he is a fraud. Sounds like John is turning away from legacy media and, and the Democrats here. Uh, another one that uh, yeah, we tried to warn you. I think he's figuring it out, though. Yeah, this next one is, is a good one. Uh, this one's from McFly on Twitter. And McFly asks a very simple question. He says this, Biden sucks. Why did I vote for him? I don't know, McFly. Why did you? I hope uh, that there's Biff uh, constantly knocking on his skull every day. The next one we've got is uh, Johnny Hammersticks. And uh, old Johnny here did some math on on his Twitter feed and uh, his Twitter post here. And he says, so if my math is correct, Trump gave me $1,800. Biden gave me $1,400. Why did I vote blue again? Good question, Johnny. Though an even better option would be to put uh, people back to work by opening up the states. Uh, You would get more than the $3,200 that Trump and Biden combined gave you, but 
hey, at least you did a little math and, and figured out that eh, maybe Trump wasn't so bad. Now, Larry Waters, he, he looks to be a, like, a, uh, like he's a conservative. Uh, but uh, from his post here, it seems he has plenty of Democrat family members. He's also uh, big into, uh, he had a hashtag on his post saying recall, uh, recall Gavin Newsom. So I think we know where Larry lies here. But Larry's tweet says this. I'm already hearing some of my Dem family, Dem, not dumb, Dem, family, having buyer's remorse. They parroted the saying, a vote for anyone but Biden was a vote for Trump. And they followed with, Trump is a racist, a Russian, horrible Nazi, etc. Now they have buyer's remorse. Maybe Larry's family has learned a lesson and will check under the hood before they buy a lemon the next time around. Now, here's a great one from uh, Gen Z X liberal on Twitter. Another reason why I'll never vote or campaign for Dems again. Learned my lesson from campaigning for Bernie Sanders. It's all scapegoating. It's all scapegoating with these frauds. Progressives, and she had that in, quote, in uh, quotes, progressives are just another rotten layer in the onion of victimized mentality of social justice advocates. And perhaps this one's my favorite one we'll close out with here. This one is from Buddhist Space Laser. It's a great disappointment, he says, that the only thing in the Biden administration with any bite is the dog. Friends, the tide is turning. More and more have realized that they have been had and are churning from the Democrat Party. More and more are waking up to the joke that legacy media is. Our job is to welcome them in, not with an I told you so, but with an outstretched hand saying welcome to the team. We need to help open their eyes more and more and show them how great of a thing being a conservative is. Fighting for things like freedom and liberty and how great having freedom and liberty, liberty are. We need to continue to hold the line until 2022, where things seem to be setting up for a massive red wave. Places you would think would never wake up are showing signs of life. Look at California. They are in position to recall Gavin Newsom out there. Uh, who would have ever thought that? Patriots, we are having an effect. We need to not back off and not back down, but keep moving ahead, keep making our voices heard, and we need to keep getting involved in our communities. If we keep it up, we will return our republic to one that is governed by the people and has freedom and liberty for all. Friends, that is my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your listenership through these first 50 episodes. Before I go, I want to let you know I've added a new feature to my website. It's uh, the Living with Liberty Book Club. I will add books as I finish them, and there'll be books that I find to be engaging or inspiring, ones that'll you know hopefully spur us on in you know not only fighting for our freedom and liberty and in our conservative movement, but you know just ones that are inspiring to our overall life that uh, give us hope and optimism and just help us be better people even. Now, if I ever get back to nonfiction books, I'll 
add some of those in too if I think they're really good. As always, I'd be so grateful if you subscribe to my show and leave a positive review should your listening platform allow. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. You can do that by subscribing to my show as well as signing up for notifications. Follow me on social media. My main account is on Parlor. I am at Living with Liberty. I am also on MeWe. Just search for Living with Liberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.